your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by Alex Johnson, James Boyman, and Ryan Williams. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to ATP. James here, joined by Alex and Ryan, following Everton's 3-2 loss to Brighton and Hove Albion. We'll be breaking down the match in full, but before we get to that, just a quick reminder to please leave us a rating or review on your podcast platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Helps us out a ton. If you want to find all of our links to social media and follow us, you can do so at linktr.ee toffee slash usatoffeepod. That's linktr.ee slash usatoffeepod. And definitely join our Discord, invite.gg slash ATP. Now let's turn to the match. Everton's first ever home defeat to Brighton and Hove Albion, now on their fewest points after 18 matches since 2005-2006. Having 17 days to prepare after Burnley, Newcastle, and Leicester matches were all postponed. And to ring in the new year, the Toffees seem to struggle in these matches. They have now lost their first league game in each of the last five calendar years. Pretty diabolical stuff there. But we'll start with instant match reactions and get things going. Alex, your thoughts. Did you hate yourself for watching today? Absolutely did. Thank you for asking. (laughs) I thought it was a disgustingly terrible match for Everton. It was a baffling setup, poor individual performances, and an egotistical insistence from the manager to keep Lucas Dean out, all of which I think the manager should be answering for after a match like today. And I also believe that the scoreline was was probably somewhat flattering towards Everton. What did you think, Ryan? I agree with a lot of that. To me, we just got beat by a better team. They're better organized. Their talent fits their organization better, or the other way around, Potter's you know versatile enough to adapt to his personnel. And not all these guys he bought. So to me, uh, we just got beat by by a better team. Um, It is amazing, though, to me, when I watch these matches, especially having time to prepare, as well as a team that's probably a little tired you're going against. Put it this way, had Brighton not run out of gas in the second half and resorted to sitting back and and making the tactical change and going to hoofball, it could have been much worse. So, um, yeah, I just thought we were outplayed and we deserved to lose. Well, let's talk about the pre-match drama because we were perhaps expecting the return of Dominic Calvert-Lewin, but there were some decisions made by the manager in the setup today that I think baffled even the most uh, the people w- most willing to give Rafa the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, no doubt. So, I mean, to start, it was probably very exciting. Well, I think it was exciting for everyone to see Dominic Calvert-Lewin starting. There were definitely question marks whether he would start or get some minutes off the bench, so that was a nice surprise. However, when you look very closely at the lineup, you saw something um, pretty interesting. We had five defenders listed, and those were Coleman, Holgate, Keane, Godfrey, and John Joe Kenny. Five defenders in the starting lineup, five defenders with a right foot, and you're sat here wondering, hmm, who's going to play at left back? Really, four out of the five are predominantly right-sided players if you had to choose a side. <laughs> Yes, right, exactly. And I thought that it would look like, I thought John Joe Kenny might go in at right wing back and then you'd have Seamus play at a right center back position similar to how Carlo utilized him in certain points last year. I thought that, that to me, that was the only thing that would make sense with that lineup. And yet uh, the inclusion of John Joe Kenny yet again was, was baffling, but we saw how it actually materialized shortly after the match kicked off. 
I'm okay with John Joe Kenny as a wingback, I guess, if you really have to, but yeah, it was, it was my, it was very amusing to watch everyone try and figure out what the heck he was trying to play. And then it turned out that we decided to play Seamus Coleman at left back, which was really a head scratcher because Ben Godfrey is slotted in there. There's no precedent for Coleman to switch sides, but Luca Dean clearly frozen out, which we'll definitely talk more about if we haven't, if you haven't heard enough from us on this subject already, we'll, uh, we'll get into it more down the line because there was some weird behavior regarding him in this match. But the, also the uh, new signing Mikolenko trotted out before the match to the applause of the Goodison fans, but not registered in time to be eligible to play today, which very strange. Seems like this deal's been done effectively for like a couple weeks now. So to not have him registered, thought that was that was very it might odd. be the Premier League. Honestly, I, I was re- reading a little bit up on it. I can, I haven't made a definitive conclusion. It might not have been us. Okay, fair enough. But strange to see. Obviously, no left back. So you're left with Seamus Coleman, a career right back, switching sides, and the twilight of his career to make a positional uh, conversion, if you will. Yeah, and then Brighton came out. Potter mixes it up a little bit, and uh, I think he, he had a back three against Chelsea, and he brought Webster in and uh, Lamptey out and looked like it was going to be a back four, and it was. Got to figure Burn and his six-foot-six frame was going to be all over Dominic Calvert-Lewin. He certainly was. Um, you know, it stinks for them because Dunk's out for the year. Duffy was on the bench. You got to figure he might come in at one point, and he did later. Uh, but I think what's exciting for Brighton is Alexis McAllister starting to play better. Mwempu is finally kind of getting into the, you know how much I love that guy. I wanted us to sign him so badly. Uh, and some of their, some of their guys are starting to gel a little bit. My concern was you look at that midfield. It's a pretty good midfield. And I figured if we were going to only play two, they would probably take advantage of that. But, but, you know, and then you look at their bench. You got to say, man, their recruitment's been pretty good. Um, they've spent money. They have. I mean, since brands took over, you know, the numbers I kind of look at, um, we're 11th and 10th in the Premier League and in gross and net. They're 12th for both. And they even had a net spend of that year when we went crazy, comparable to ours. So uh, they have spent some money, but most of it's been on younger players that eventually have, have developed. And look at that midfield. You know, Basuma, we didn't even mention him. He's one of the best midfielders in the league. And Lalana seems to fit pretty well. Um, and Kukurea is a, a great left back signing, something to think about when. You know, they signed him and it was assumed he's just a wing back. He played up as a straight up left back today in a more attacking role with Veltman playing as a little bit more of a defensive right back. But look, man, they should be tired, right? They played Chelsea on Wednesday, um, but they have depth and they made some changes and, and they looked very, very well organized. I thought we anticipated they would have a lot of possession. Certainly in the first half they did. Were you guys surprised to see Coleman at left wing back? I mean, when you saw it come on, it was kind of like, what is going on there? To me, it made even less sense when you had he had Gordon starting out on the left, where Gordon likes to cut inside, and Coleman doesn't like to stay outside. I thought Gray, who tends to start wider, might open up the half space for Coleman. That might make more sense, but I don't know. It was definitely disjointed. Yeah, no, I, I agree with what James said. I thought from the get-go, you know, Coleman was going to be right center back of the back three, and Godfrey would go out left. Um, and you think maybe even Godfrey's pace would have given us a little bit uh, more outlet at some points during the match too, um, which, you know, we saw him run. Uh, we saw him make a couple forward runs at the very, very end of the match anyway. Yeah, it was very confusing what, what Benitez was thinking, but 
we'll we'll digress and maybe get into it later on. But you look at the the average shape of Everton, and, and it's a little distorted because Coleman eventually did switch over to the right side. Perhaps when the manager saw the error of his ways after we were down Godfrey trying to switched fight our way too. back in. I mean, yeah, it's hard. Right. It's hard to really take too much from this. But I mean, you watch the match. Yeah, I mean, it looks like it, honestly the picture isn't accurate because of the changes, but it is a reflection of how disjointed and disorganized Everton were because there is no shape here. There is John Joe Kenny over on the right side, and then basically everyone else is in the middle of the pitch to some degree. And then you look at Brighton's shape. And that is a exhibit in what an organized, well-drilled side should look like. They've got great spacing. Their center backs are commanding the back line. They've got their their outside backs wide and evenly spaced. And then they've got bodies in the midfield and their forward players leading the line. It's very straightforward. Everton, if you looked at that, you wouldn't even know what you watched. And even if you did Matt, watch the match, a lot of people are still scratching their heads. I, I like their build-up play, too. The way they were creating possession, it was pretty smart. It looked like Basuma and Lalana were kind of in a box with the other center halves. The center halves would spread wide. Those guys would draw out Alon and Decore, creating massive space in, be- in behind them, as we've seen the all gap. the gap all year, right? And gave McAllister a lot of room to operate at times. But... They were methodical in their possession, but they weren't slow. I mean, they were playing it fast. They look well-organized, and they're just kind of all in good roles for each other. And, uh, yeah, Mwepu was just running around like a maniac the whole time. But most of the ball really was at the feet of Basuma, kind of, and and McAllister and Lalana too, uh, whereas ours was basically passing it out from the back. I mean, we just didn't look very organized when we did have the ball, um, even later when they kind of tired out and resorted to to hoofball there. But yeah, I mean, Alex, I'm kind of curious your take. I mean, we're just watching that. And I watch a lot of matches too. Been watching a little more Premier League recently because it's the only thing on. Every team seems to look like that has a much stronger identity and sense of organization. I mean, in theory, he's been working on shape now and things for the last couple of weeks, unless he's distracted trying to play the same role as director of football right now since we don't have one, which, dear God, hope he's not. Um, I mean, Alex, what's your take? Does it look as disorganized to you as it does to me and James? Because I think it's pretty apparent. Yeah, no, and and what made it even more apparent, as you mentioned, was Brighton looked like a well-oiled machine. They were passing quickly. Everyone knew their role. They didn't look confused, whereas Everton, right from the kickoff, many of them just looked confused as to what they were supposed to be doing. And I think it's even more damning when you think about the fact that Everton had numerous matches postponed. We had ample time to prepare tactically on the training ground, and it did not come to fruition. So all of those things based, you know, supplemented by, you know, the the points you made about their recruitment and players that maybe we should be targeting and, you know, some of the possibly the bargains that they um, have been able to lock down is is somewhat of a slap in the face. So it's very interesting. Andy Watt at. Wada, Wadi Watt Dog wrote this in terms of in response to our reactions. At what point do I just have a pre-written reaction to every game under Rafa? Lack of organization, check. Terrible, not even efficient. Uh, in possession, check. Stubborn selection, see fullbacks, check. Reactionary game management and slow to make changes, check. Brings on Rondon. I, I just think we asked this question, I think, after the very first match in the pod. And I think we even put a poll out there. Does Benitez get credit for making the adjustments at halftime? Or does he still get more stick for setting us up so poorly from the get-go? I'm kind of curious your thoughts because I feel like how often do we set up bad 
from the get-go. And we almost luck ourselves out to get to a certain point. I mean, we'll get into the timeline in a second, but you know, Brighton attacked very consistently across the pitch. You know, there wasn't really a, any favored. We continued to attack in the wide spaces because, frankly, we're outnumbered down the middle. Every match, it seems like, geez, he got it wrong. And I feel like we say it all the time. And today, the the adjustments weren't really there, although it seems like every match plays out very similar, does it not? Yeah. And I think to your point, to your question, Ryan, and to the question we asked previously, if you're looking at an individual match in isolation, you can say, okay, maybe he didn't expect the opposition to line up in way X, Y, Z. And there are some weaknesses that we need to adjust to, uh, you know, freeze out. And, and But when it's every match... Eventually, the fingers just get pointed at one guy, and it's the guy setting up the team every week. And it seems like we're incapable of starting games well on the front foot. We're consistently falling behind and having to claw our way back for a point, if that, which we didn't even get today. And yeah, again, the injury is still kind of a thing, but that's a strong enough side out there. that. And if you include Luca Dean on the left side, then you eliminate half of the weird, discombobulated ridiculousness that was apparent. I, I just think it continues... To, to point the finger at one guy and it's the guy that's setting up the team and I don't know what they're doing to plan for tactically these matches in training but it's certainly not orchestrating any kind of build-up play or preparing movements or expecting movements of players into open spaces because there was very little of that from the get-go and of course it doesn't help when you're down basically from the first kickoff well and you know what it's it's kind of hard to say anything else because how often how often in a post-match show have we sat here this season and said, Rafa did a great job with subs? Because I'm thinking like maybe one match and it was, pro I think maybe it was Andre Gomez, like rest, you know what I'm saying? Like a, cu a couple, I mean, but not, not. Yeah. So I mean, po overarching few. point is, overarching point is he gets it wrong from the start a lot. And the majority of the time we don't even agree with his subs or whether, whether it's the subs themselves or the timing of the subs, which we'll even end up getting into during our timeline today as well. So we appreciate Andy uh, doing our post-match show for us. We can actually just uh, mail it in and go home <laughs> now and, and call it a day. But no, let's talk about the timeline, Alex, because this was obviously a five-goal match that felt like it could have been a lot worse for Everton. But as I said, you know, going down almost immediately in the third minute uh, certainly got the year off to a good start for all the Toffees watching and all the West Coast Toffees who woke up at whatever, 6 a.m., <laughs> To, to tune God, in. Yeah, something like that, right? I mean, right off the bat, I'm pretty sure Everton gives possession away. And Brighton marches up the field on their right side, our left. Seamus Coleman fails to close down the player, although he had three full center backs behind him. Um, you know, the cross comes in. It was a lovely knockdown and pass, you know, combination by Malpai. And it was finished by McAllister, which, by the way, looking back on the replay, you know, you saw that Ducore had him up until about you know, a couple yards outside the 18 and then just nonchalantly jogs behind him for him to kind of dunk it for the, you know, uh, go down one, one nil in the third minute. And I have a feeling Mikalinko was sitting uh, in the stands having, a, <laughs> having a fun time at that point. Right. Well, he would have backed off him too. That's kind of his gameplay, but how can you play two wingbacks and have Coleman backing off the player and letting him cross? That's bad enough. Far and away, the most pathetic play in this is John Joe Kenny, right wing back, keeping a player on side, being the last person in line. I mean, that's the only reason why he was on. I'm sure the other center halves were like, yeah, you can go ahead and get behind me all day. I don't care. We've got VAR where it's not, you know, clear and obvious for offsides. And John Joe keeps him on. 
It is embarrassing play by him, honestly. You're a wingback. I mean, for heaven's sakes. But it's hard to keep five guys in a row, you know? And in essence, you're not wingbacks if you're playing a back five, which is what Raphael wants to play out of possession. Um, it's a good play by McAllister, a good run and good knockdown. And this is the type of fluid uh, football that Brighton play. It's it's pretty fun to watch, especially uh, usually not when it's against Everton, though. Um, yeah, I wasn't having fun watching. That, no, to be honest. no. But look, you see a guy like that. He's 23. He's starting to come into his own. I mean, this is a buy at seven million pounds from Argentino Juniors, you know, which is a mid table, in essence, Argentina club. He was only at Boca Juniors where I watched him due to work permit issues. But that's the type of proactive stuff that Brighton were doing, planning for the future. And that's what a good director of football like Dan Ashworth will set up for you. And this kid's a stud now. I mean, he was unbelievable today. Um, I love how this goal also was followed up by a terrible yellow by John Joe Kenny. John Joe did not have the best start. No, he was pretty poor from the outset. As you said, the last man for the goal, which is just, I think, a testament to the level of disorganization and the lack of familiarity with the system itself, because we never really play a back five. And when we do, it never goes well. But the yellow was terrible. Wait, wait, and wait, wait, short- wait. The Chelsea match was great. We got a point on the road. <laughs> we played with the back five. What? What? We're, we're on the record on our thoughts on that match, so let's not reiterate it. But yeah, that was diabolical as well. In the 13th minute, Anthony Gordon somehow doesn't get a yellow or kind of a ridiculous challenge from him. We were throwing in challenges left, right, and center. If for no other reason than it seemed like desperation to try to make something happen, even if it was getting our players sent off. Maybe they should have dove as many times as we did. Can we talk about that for a second? When did we become the diving champions of the Premier League. I, I'm, it's ridiculous to me. I mean, Rondon, I expect to flop a lot, but that's what you get. Townsend wasn't in there because he's normally good for at least two or three dives a game. Gordon, I, man, I'll tell you, a lot of young English players dive, and I don't blame them because the Premier League seems to reward it. Um, but now they've changed the rules. I mean, these were that was a brutal kick. I mean, flat out opened his shoe and just drove into, I think it was Lalana's shin. I just, I don't, I don't understand how there's no yellow there, but that's the new Premier League. I feel like I need to comment on it every, every week. Uh, the game was back and forth a little bit, but anyway, sure enough, I mean, we were still chasing shadows. I thought we were kind of disorganized and of course on a set piece and Rafa said we practiced against these set pieces the whole time. That's what we did. Uh, Bright makes it two nil. Yeah, it was awful. I mean, they had had a, they had a, um, they had a horizontal set piece from, kind of outside the box on our right-hand side, swung it in far post, and they had two or three bodies far post with no one marking them at all. No one's even there. It was a free header by like four yards. It was amateurish at best, and it really sums it up. And I think literally right like two minutes before this goal was scored, they actually did zoom in on Mikalinko's face in the stands with his girl, and he looked absolutely just absolutely distraught. And then we get dunked on far post. Yeah, I, I think it was yeah, it's the second ball. It's the second ball, right? It's just the flick on. We're so poor at preventing the first ball and really poor at defending the second one, which no one's great at because it's that's what makes it so yeah, dangerous. It but you have to prevent that initial play. And again, just some young, well-recruited talent by Brighton exploiting our weaknesses and making us look a little foolish. Down 2-0, inside 25 minutes on New Year's. It was his first match of the new it year. It was a rather. sweet flick on. I mean, no question about it. Um, yeah. And then we have a strange occurrence here where we get a chance to get back in the match where Mwempu, for some reason, runs into Gordon. Now, Gordon's smart. He turns his back on him, kind of like it's like playing hockey 
where you turn your back suddenly and somebody drives you into the boards and you turn to the ref like, really? I barely touched the guy. And it was smart by Gordon. And, and I think it was a deserved penalty. I'm curious what your all takes. And then I'd love to hear your takes on the Dominic Calvert-Moon penalty attempt. Yeah, no, it absolutely was a penalty. I mean, he was barged into, even when you slow it down, like it is, it's very much a barge and not a, you know, a slight coming together where he goes down softly or anything like that. And he was very clearly into the box. So it was good to see a, a, a VAR call go our way. Yeah, and I agree. It was a penalty. It was a case of Gordon looking for the contact to getting it, but I don't see anything inherently wrong with that. There were later flops that I think were more flagrant, but in the position, the thing is he's not really like any threat. His back's to goal. He's not in any material risk to, to score. And so for Brighton to concede that penalty in that point, really poor from a wet poo at that point. But then Dominic Calvert-Lewin steps up, I guess. I mean, he's the only guy you could really think that would obviously take the penalty and he skies it. He just rock hits it way too hard 20 minutes into his return. And, and he misses a glorious chance to put Everton back in a game where they deserve to be down two nil at that point, quite honestly. So to, to be at two one at that point would have been huge. And we might've been able to claw back from there, but we made it much harder on ourselves by missing that easy chance. I mean, let's be honest though. <laughs> if the match is two to one at that point, totally undeserved. I mean, I don't think, sure. I mean, that was our first shot. Well, I was going to say it would have been our first shot on goal, but it it, it wasn't <laughs> a shot on goal, <laughs> sadly. Um, you know, the thing is, too, they come really close to making it 3-0 in the 37th with a cracker from Lalana that Pickford makes a wonderful save on that looked like, it looked like it was going in. It was well played. Again, there's that gap, you know, when they're fighting and kind of crossing it back and finding space in between the lines that they exploited. Um it was about this time, too. They kept showing Rafael Benitez on the sidelines, and he looked absolutely furious, frustrated. Um, but there was a very odd moment where I feel like he sent Luca Dean out to warm up. So, And I'm thinking, what is he doing that for in the first half? Is he going to bring it on at half? I mean, if you're down, that would make a lot of sense, right? I mean, we, we need more attack-minded players. You could put him at that win-back situation, and maybe you've got solve some problems or something, but it didn't happen at all. And the post-max quotes were really strange. So wh what is going on here? It was completely confusing. You, you know, you sat there and you saw, you were thinking like, okay, Rafa is not too egotistical to, you know, realize at least one mistake, right? I mean, I was thinking in the first 20, 30 minutes, he could have pulled off John Joe Kenny and either changed shape completely or put on Lucas Dean, you know, on the opposite flank. But it never came to fruition, and you're just sat there thinking, why is he going to parade him around in front of the fans if he did not intend to play him? I felt like it. In the, I thought the same thing. I thought, okay, Rafa has seen the error of his ways. He knows he's so far deep down the well at this point. The only thing that can save him is to bring back the only logical option to play left back instead of trying to put all these square pegs in round holes. No, it turns out he didn't make the sub. It it seems like in hindsight that it was. Maybe just like him trolling the Everton fan base, like trying to, he got the cheers as he ran up and down the sideline. Could it be a goodbye, a farewell, run up and down the sidelines for Luka Dean? That's the only, it clearly wasn't to sub him. So there had to have been some ulterior motive unless he was planning to sub him and decided not to. There was zero chance of him being subbed in. Zero. Zilch. Benitez, please. No chance would he do that. Uh, and, and after the match, his comments on Dean were 
pretty shocking, honestly. I mean, he flat out called him back, you know, called him out. He said, you know, we have players coming back. We want players who want to fight for this club and his teammates. You have to choose the best players possible. And we were pushing, but we have to manage games better. Then he was literally asked, is that why Coleman was selected at left wing? He said, yes. He absolutely threw Dean under the bus to basically say you weren't, he wasn't committed. And uh, I, I don't know what to say about that. You know, I mean, I, he's been misplayed. He's been misused. I'm sure he's frustrated. So I, I don't know where we go from here. We signed a left back for to almost 20 million, 18 million pounds for heaven's sakes. Who's not really an attacking left back. So it's not like bringing him on, I think would have made a massive difference if we could have registered him in time. This has just really gone south. And even throughout the match in the second half, I'm thinking this guy's perfect to bring on. Can we talk about our set pieces? I mean, my God, Gordon hit two balls out of bounds, hitting it from the right side with his right boot, trying to curl it back in. You're telling me you wouldn't rather have an in-swinger there from the left foot? I I don't know, but I I just, this is crazy. I mean, if you've got him, use him for heaven's sakes, Uh, unless a deal is already aligned. And I, I don't think there is one. He said there wasn't. Then he was asked, are you planning to sell him? Do you have sales set up for him? And he's like, no, no. So I, I don't I don't know the purpose of that. Alex, I will say this. You made a great point. Why not change something? So the reason why I think that's a really interesting point, other than him flopping, I think he changed Gordon and Gray's sides at one point. He also flipped when he made subs later. But um, remember the Wolves match where we are completely and utterly dominated for 20, actually it was 38 minutes, I think, is when they went up 2-0. And they were exploiting the space, the gap, as we always talk about it the whole time. It was so obvious what they were doing, um, getting in the corner and cutting back in the middle, all that space. The same stuff that Brighton was doing at times today, uh, not as blatant because they were a little more balanced. He changed. He changed. He went with a 4-1-4-1. And I don't know if that would have made a difference, but at least it would have put someone to help in the middle and deal with, you know, McAllister. I, I, any change would have been helpful, I thought, but he chose Chose not to. Why do we think that is? Just lack of personnel. I mean, I'm sure he'll blame it on someone else because that's what Benitez does. But it's just, sorry, I'm being very critical today because I'm tired of it, man. I mean, we just look so disorganized compared to all the other teams. He's doing a terrible job. Like you said, I mean, this is the worst start we've had since, what, two decades? I mean, you look so at it I, You look at it in the middle of the pitch, too. Ducore had like a 67% pass accuracy in the middle of the pitch playing 90 minutes, one of two central midfielders for Everton. So that kind of tells you what you need to know in terms of how we were going to progress the ball up the pitch. I'm okay if that's progressive, you know, if he's t- if he's direct and taking chances, but, but it wasn't. he wasn't that either, right? No. So it goes back to the question of kind of the setup, and I guess we're just sort of landing on the fact that this was a, a weird move by Rafa to incite or incense Luca Dean or the fan base or as a troll move. But we look at the stats at halftime, and look, you had Basuma had 44 touches, Cucurella had 41, Lalana with 40, bossing the midfield. Mwepu running around, cleaning up any sort of mishaps. We're just outnumbered, outrun, out, just just beaten in every sense of the word. McAllister, 40 touches. So they're they're looking at uh, you know 160 touches between their midfield. McAllister, two key passes. We were just getting embarrassed at that point, and it's really a miracle that we found any way back to even get close to taking anything from this. I mean, match, especially like, when you look at it at halftime. Malpay like megged Godfrey at one point, deked around Dean. I mean, they were just toying with this at times. Um, seen a couple different XGs at halftime. We looked close because of the penalty. So you take away the penalty, it was like 0.43 I saw in the half for us in some places with Brighton at almost one and a half. It looks like 1.35 here. 
they were so much better than us. Uh, two nil was deserved, don't we think? Totally, hundred percent. Honestly, we we deserved to concede more at that point in time. Like I, I sat there thinking, I'm not kidding you. I sat at the half thinking we don't barely look like we're playing as a championship level club. Seriously. <laughs> well, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, think about the championship level clubs that you see well, think about playing some of the in the players. cup matches. They're way most of them are far most of them are far more competitive than we looked. Most of well, them could complete. Was ours? I mean, when we played QPR, we gave up 66% possession. So I would say it's not very competitive. Oh, you meant like for <laughs> us. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, thank God this team worn down. I mean, really, and, and they were tired. I think that helped because the one thing I did notice was that there was still hope. Uh, what I mean is that they, they've, Brighton has looked like the best team on the planet um, several times this year in the first half. But the second half, they've kind of faded away at times. They do play with a lot of intensity up front. So to me, there was maybe still some hope as bad as we looked. Yeah, so we get into the second half, and Everton certainly came out with a renewed vigor and intensity that we didn't see much of in the first half. Now, that's not to say that it was much more effective, but it certainly led to better results right off the bat in the 48th minute. Damari Gray versus Byrne puts a nice cross in. We get a corner, should have scored off both most likely, but instead we score off neither. But it was a positive way to, to start the second half. And, and it was very funny, too, because in my notes, you know, a couple minutes later, we had Gordon kind of moved over to the right at this point, spun off Kukurea and, and looked like he beat him clean and just didn't have the quality and the ball went out of bounds. And that was a perfect example of Gordon up to that point where the effort was there. He was running like a maniac. He was trying so hard and the quality was simply not there whatsoever. So ironically, two minutes later, we're back in the match. And look, it was a deflection. Uh, it was a left-footed shot. It wasn't a dangerous shot. It might even go down as an own goal. I don't know if it was going to be wide right or not. But we got a deflection, left-footed, terrible play by uh, by Lalana to deflect it in, and in the 52nd minute, bang, it's 2-1. to one. And I don't know how, and we were coming on hard in the second half, so we deserve some credit for that. But, yeah, it was um, it was a shocking turn, and, and suddenly, game on, you know, and they looked like they were tiring a little bit. First of all, we have nothing else to look forward to in this match, so we're going to call that Anthony Gordon's first Premier League goal for Everton, okay? So, so that's not an own goal, Ryan. Take that back. Um, <laughs> I'm fine. But also, also I, I would like to point out, though, I would like to point out at that point in time, it was not against the run of play. It, it wasn't necessarily like some a deserved goal, I would say, but it was not against the run of play, which was nice. Right. But then in the 55th minute, you know, Gordon dives, which we've definitely seen a couple times. And uh, Brighton did not take uh, lightly to that. They got very, very upset, partially probably because he had just scored minutes beforehand. But it gives, you know, Everton win the corner in gray with a bullet and forces a great save. So, again, I mean, we're still chipping away, and it looks like at that point in time, confidence is building for the Blues. Yeah, no question. I mean, a decent couple minutes from Gordon, as Ryan said. He was really trying to get involved as often as possible, and even though there wasn't much coming off for him, he does a good job to get himself in a position to take the shot. The shot wasn't great, but we get the goal. Then he takes the dive and he's continuing to influence things through sheer effort rather than quality, I think. Um, but then in the 60th minute, Brighton and Hove Albion elect to switch things up. I think uh, Graham Potter saw that maybe things weren't quite working all that well, and they uh, elect to go with a couple tactical changes going to a back three. Yeah, Lamptey comes on, uh, in essence, playing as a right wing back. Uh, Dunk comes in, so it's Dunk, Webster, and Byrne. 
Um, I, I think at this point he realized that they, they're going to need to sit back a little bit. Lamptey has a lot of energy and pace. And with Gray over there now, I think he thought that he maybe could help track him down a little bit, although Gray beat him pretty cleanly at least once. Um, yeah, 62nd, you know, Gray, Webster, I guess he fouled him. I thought there was a clear dive on Gray. That's where he beat Lamptey. And Gray looked very dangerous. Um, 66 minutes, second corner knocked out of bounds by Anthony Gordon, for heaven's sakes. Alon had that long shot right afterwards. And, oh. and we were coming on, but there was just no quality whatsoever. And you're thinking, there's no way we're going to get, you know, a, another one past these guys. And then the moment in the 71st, which I thought it was in essence game over. But let, let me tell you this. I mean, I said, wow, out loud at this one. What a finish by Alexis McAllister. Uh, it was a fantastic layoff by Mwepu. That's the second assist of the day. A little tap layoff, like right in the gap, right? Right between the center, you know, the center halves and the center mids. Lays it off, and McAllister hits an, just an unbeatable. No one's saving this thing whatsoever. And I'm thinking in the 71st, it's over. Yeah, he said, Alon, hold my beer. I'm about to show you how it's done. Unbelievable. Um, <laughs> rifled that one in, into the top corner again. Nothing Jordan Pickford can do. And it's the classic Everton. Just when you think we might be clawing back, just when the Goodison crowd is working itself up into an uproar and a dangerous atmosphere, you take a goal like that and just sucks all the life out of the stadium yet again. And the game's more or less gone at that point, though it really wasn't because Everton, to their credit, didn't quit, kept fighting. And this next goal was actually a really nice bit of build-up play and probably one of the better goals we've scored this season from a team build-up And the thing is, I, I thought we were wide open at this point. I thought there was an outside chance, maybe these guys were a little tired, but outside chance that they could break this thing open and have it be like a Watford match. I mean, really. Um, no subs at this point, but let's be honest here. This is where Anthony Gordon's quality finally... Look, Anthony Gordon can really strike a ball. He's very skilled. It's just he's at a high level right now, and it's hard for him to deal with. And I'm sure the game's slowing down for him a little bit. But let me tell you what, man. This was it's a great play, but I'm going to cover Lou and hold the ball up and kind of pass it through to Kenny. But what a cross by Kenny, and what a finish by by Anthony Gordon. I mean, I, this was a very pretty group, you know, team move. I thought, like you said, James, and it was a really good finish too into the bottom right hand corner too. Like running away from goal, had a couple defenders on him. I mean, like you could not, you know. If he tried to recreate it, I'm not sure how many times he'd hit it out of 10, but um, either way, it was a fantastic finish. But that's when the subs come, right after that. So it takes it takes for us to be 3-2 with 15 minutes left in regular time, right? And I'm sat there thinking at 60 minutes when Brighton made a change because we scored one goal. Why was that not us? So in the 76th minute, Rondon comes, off, or comes on in place of John Joe Kenny. And that's when he kind of switched up the setup a little bit and Godfrey went to left back. Seamus Coleman moved back to the right-hand side. And then we had two center forwards up top. Yeah. And Rondon getting booed as he came on the pitch, uh, which was, we had the toffee blues tweet. This quote from Rafa Benitez in the post-match said, it's difficult to understand. You bring off a defender and put on a striker. Usually people are happy with that. And so clearly, I don't think this is directed at the nature of the substitution, but a lot of fans have their minds made up on Solomon Rondon that he is a useless bag of garbage. I happen to disagree with that. Um, but booing your own players, winning or losing, is never a good look, you have to say. What are you booing him for? I, I don't get that. He works hard. He tries his best. I mean, he was a 31-year-old free. Uh, uh, you know, I don't... 
I don't know what you're ex- you're not expecting to him to be a world beater. Cut the guy a break. He's going to get in there and he's going to work hard. Now, is it the right sub? I would think with Brighton playing three in the back now with the ability and the size to deal with two target guys, maybe not. Maybe you'd rather have someone that can sit a little deeper add an- another person into midfield and really put the pressure on them through tempo. I, I think the structure up top was fine to score. That's probably what I would have done. Um, but yeah, I mean, his, his line is, uh, I mean, it's, uh, what does he think? I mean, he knows people have made their mind up on Rondon and look, people are ticked. It's three, two, like, I know we're charged to win, uh, but it still doesn't excuse the booing. I, I don't understand the booing. I, I feel like there's certain people at Goodison that they target. And I don't think it's fair personally. And I don't think it's productive at all. Yeah. Certainly not productive to shoot yourself in the own foot, right? The, the fans are there to, to back the team and hopefully influence the game in the best way that they possibly can. And believe me, I understand the frustration, but singling out Rondon is just, it's very strange to me. I don't see really what the guy's done said. He hasn't said anything. Sure. He may not be the quality that everyone hopes for, but you're going to boo a guy for being bad. Well, you should boo the whole team then because he's pushing too hard too. I think, I mean, I think he's at his best when he's laying the ball off for other people rather than looking for his goal. He's more of a setup guy and an okay one at that. Um, you know what I mean? Like he had that kind of half volley, which would have been a ridiculous goal and probably not one worth attempting. Maybe he could have headed it back in, but I think that's him. You know, he's pressing right now. He clearly wants to show for the fans. This guy is known as one of the hardest working players out there, known as ever. I had people on social media questioning how hard he plays. Are you out of your mind? He's a huge guy. I mean, he's not going to be fast or graceful. Not that he's slow necessarily, but he's a big guy. I don't know. And he's 31. Yeah. And he's working hard. Right? That's what I don't understand how you're going to critique or boo a guy who's not given, who's given his best. Cause I think he is, but that's, that's just me. And I, we didn't really create a whole lot here. The sub for Andre on the 87th minute for Alon. I mean, I, I, this is a great quote, by the way, by Mike, um, at wombat underscore combat. Mike's a pretty insightful guy, but chasing a game and still not using all three subs. Is it Mourinho esque? I don't have enough players. BS or just actual incompetence. You know, there's a lot of things that he does that's kind of psychological sometimes with Benitez, and you're kind of like, because I I don't see any, why not make this sub earlier? Well, let's look at the options he has on the bench, right? Because the the, the Andre sub, I think we all agree, way too late, 87th minute, you're not really going to get a whole lot out of him. The realistic options to bring on would be Luka Dean, but that seems to not be possible. Alex Awobi, Ellis Sims, JP Bameen, Tyler Onyango or Lewis Dobbin. Now, do any of those guys add anything to this yeah. team? If you swap Actually, players out, yes, I think that I do. Yes, I, I I think so too. I agree. I mean, certainly to I attack. That, I mean, the guys are tired. I mean, put a third person in midfield, like put a Wobie in at the ten, or put Dobbin out there and move Gray or Gordon into the middle or something. I mean, I, I don't I don't understand that at all. Just fresh legs. I mean, look at what Anthony Gordon did. They were clearly tired. You know. Or put Bameen in and push the other guys up. I, I don't, I, it doesn't make any sense at all to me to not use them. I mean, your advantage at this point is maybe it's not quality because God knows Benitez hasn't orchestrated an attack in possession. And we had the ball a lot in the second half, but we did nothing with it as usual. It's not well organized. At least you could have beat them from a legs standpoint, you know? And that just didn't seem, I mean, think about it. You make one sub until the 87th in a game you're chasing? What? And from the 60th minute on, Everton had 63% possession. So the possession wasn't the issue. Yeah, I mean, I think I think over the last month or so, you pretty much see uh, 
just to an an answer Mike's uh, question, I mean, it's both. Over the last month or so, you've seen essentially Rafa does not want to give any sort of meaningful minutes to Bamin or Gomez, which is what you know the conversation ends up shaping up to be in a lot of these post match um, or a lot of these post match episodes based on you know based on our tactical setup, like why. Are we not having a third set of legs in midfield or even a Wobi at the 10, as Ryan mentioned, right? So all three of those players we are seeing, he absolutely does not want to touch, you know, he, he does not want to give them any sort of meaningful player playing time. And I mean, it's wrong. I think it's wrong. We don't see them in training. Um, but you got to think that, you know, we're not even just discussing, can they plug in for, for certain players in the, the setup we're talking about? We're, we're saying, you know, can they exist in any setup that would look better than what we're putting out week in, week out. And I think the answer is yes. I agree. And look, the second half stats were a lot better, no question about it. But I really think it was because Brighton kind of stopped trying to hold the ball, resorted to hoof ball, and they weren't good. They were worn out. I know I keep saying that, but I think it's fairly obvious. I mean, look, we outshot them 12 to 4 in the second half, 7 to 1 in corners, um, the ones that we kept in play. Uh, look, XG Philosophy had it at the end of the game, 1.76. For Everton, 1.55 to Brighton. So I guess we won the XG game, but we really didn't. I mean, we got an undeserved penalty that was 0.76, which is part of the problem. Hold of, on. Go ahead. Deserved penalty. Well, it was a right it was, call. But, it was a penalty. I mean, yeah, it was the right call. but it wasn't Against the run of play. It wasn't deserved. Yeah. I mean, Wempu would, did something dumb. It's not like Gordon did some amazing job to earn it. I mean, come on, man. Okay. I mean, fair I'm enough, just saying, if enough, we're talking enough. about the quality chances and the overall balance of the match... Yes. I mean, that was kind of undeserved. So so literally, if you throw that out there, I mean, literally, our XG was one. One in a game that we're chasing, a game that we had last, how much time we had over 60% of the ball, and yet he refuses to bring on more attacking-based players when we're clearly not generating any quality chances whatsoever. At home against a side that's never beat us at home before. And they're a good team. They're really they're really pretty good. They I, are. I don't want to, you know, underestimate them as a lot of other people are. I mean, it's unbelievable. You mentioned that you think Graham Potter's a good manager. People are like, What has he done? What has he done? I'm like, it's Brighton. Like, seriously. I mean, they have half our payroll. You know, they can't keep certain people. I mean, remember they were trying to get Nico Gonzalez in the summer, who's an amazing player? They had no prayer. Fiorentina is a bigger rep and bigger name than that. You know, it's hard for them to compete, but they're doing it. Um, yeah. Any last thoughts before we get into the summary? We've got some great listener quotes that I really appreciate. Yeah. I think we have some really good comments, probably better to just give the floor to our listeners um, who have some, some really good insights. So we had uh start with ACE at LeBon Everton, regular contributor said just poor tactics from start to end Coleman on the left and continue to leave Dean out. Waiting until the 76 to make a sub, just so poor. I think we all agree with that. Yeah, and, and we had Aaron Free at Bowsy Toffee Tit. <laughs> Setup was awful. Brighton seized on the insistence of tonal marking. Three unmarked players at the back post. This is wholly on Rafa now. We needed our best <clears throat> team out there, and his arrogance and stubbornness ruined a chance of three points. Gordon was fantastic, was the only highlight. One thing I will say is, if you're going to really play a zonal marking scheme, you should all be in a line. Like the whole point of zonal marking partially is to take away the flick on. Because the idea is the flick on advances the ball towards the goal. If you're all in a line, they're off. But that's not what happened. Now the flick on was almost perfectly horizontal. So, I mean, it wasn't, you know, it would have been hard to achieve that. But if you're going to actually play zonal, be in your zone. So it's clearly a hybrid thing. But like the fact that you let someone wide open on a back post when you know the flick on is coming. 
everyone and their mother knows what they're going to try and play. We, you know, history has shown and the stats have borne out that the most dangerous corner is the initial flick on. That's the one that has the highest percentage of goal scored. Um, studies have been done, man. The numbers are in. So, uh, I, I, you know, it's yet another set piece goal, though. What can you say? We then had uh, Andy Cieja at Schmub, who had <laughs> this comment really just makes it at home. He said, our best right back played at left back. Our second best left back at right back. Our worst right back at wing back. And our best left back on the bench. All because of Rafa's ego. Hashtag Rafa out. I mean, it's really getting to that point where it's like, and, and I think we're, we assume that it's all Rafa's ego. His comments would have you believe it's Luca Dean's attitude that's causing this whole rift. The end result is that one of our best players in the, and our only natural player at that position is not playing. And as a result, you have this weird Frankenstein making Seamus Coleman convert sides at the end of his career situation unfolding that clearly just did not work at all today. I mean, you saw Coleman trying to break up the wing and it's all right foot. It's all right foot. He does not want to use his left. Even Godfrey will at least try stuff with his left. Seamus way too overly reliant. It just feels like you're setting up that player to not be successful. And the wind and the rain probably hurt a little bit. Some of the cross attempts, but first of all, that okay, clopped that, well, <laughs> ah, that's so good, man. Congested schedule. It's a problem. Um, let me tell you what Andy's quote. It, I am so dizzy just reading that. It's so. I me too. I, it's like I'm trying to follow it. You know, it's like a shell game type thing. Look, I, yeah. I I know we've been overly critical of Rafa, but what can you say? I mean, I I don't know what to say. I'm totally confused at this point, and it's just a shame because I think there's some other people too that he's just not using that he could give a shot. If we're gonna lose, can we lose at least trying to make a go of it? Um, I don't know. It's it's uh pretty disappointing. The thing is, if Rafa didn't have a history of this type of stuff you know, of alienating players, I, I would, I think you could craft a solid narrative to say, hey, these are the same bums that have, you know, let us down in the past. Although one narrative that's not true is that these guys have cost us five, six managers at this point. I'm like, who? Luca Dean? No, Silva's the only one that left. He got fired. That's it. So, you know what I mean? So that that's not, I, he seems like he gets along with a lot of guys. He's played for a lot of different managers. I, I It's very obvious his quality is there. It's a shame they can't hash it out, but it's not just him. You know, he's clearly locking some other players out and almost crafting this narrative that he doesn't have the players. So I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think nine finger Craig has, has some good observations as usual too. He was in, he was in a furious mode today out on, out on Twitter representing Northern Virginia. Thanks buddy. Yeah. He said, uh, what really was the expectation when our best defenders on the bench our 33 year old second best defender is playing on his opposite side and you've got a barely championship caliber kid playing on the right. Honestly, what did Rafa expect to happen? I think that's a fair question. What did he expect to happen? Did he expect that to work flawlessly? I mean, he's surely not that naive to to not see the the potential pitfalls of that setup. So it's just it's really really confusing what exactly he's doing. Is it purely just to prove a point? Is he trying to is he that stubborn that he'll sacrifice points on the table to make a point to I don't even know who he's making it to the fans to he's got rid of everyone that he could possibly be contesting him at this point. So I I don't know who is he trying to make a point to right now? He's making a point to the other players. He's making a point to say, stay in line because you can be our best player. You can be a French international formerly of PSG, Barcelona, Roma. But if you're at Everton sitting in 15th place, I need you to like me and I need you to play defensively. Although we can't score. And we can't keep a clean sheet. 
And also, you can't take free kicks. Do what I do. What I say. <laughs> That's no, really. Reason. I mean, that, that yeah. is the do what I say. Um, which would be fine if I felt like he was doing his part. You know, I think that's a much more convincing argument if if you're setting it up right. You know, if if the team looks organized um, and it doesn't, and you can only blame that so much on the players. I mean, to me, I look at the job David Moyes has done, and I, I don't. I have no problem with us hiring Carlo over David Moyes. Who the heck would not do that? That's the stupidest argument I've ever heard. Um, but the point is, he's getting a lot from players he inherited too. He's putting them in the right situations and he's crafting a team around them. And I don't see Benitez doing that at all, despite his extensive player audit. Again, I, I don't want to continue the Rafa complain fest, but I think that's the story of this game, isn't it? And I think Peter Rabbit tacks on and, and he should. Yeah, Peter Rabbit 68 said setup was poor by Rafa. Game plan was poor by Rafa. Keen looked like he had been plucked from the Gladys Street end to play. We are lucky there are th- three really bad teams below us. Six from 36 points. Rafa, in all caps, out. Man, that six and 36 is just absolutely brutal. And it even, you know, it it exacerbates it further. From James Corbett at James Corbett highlights how just how historically poor this run from Rafa has been. This isn't just like a one season thing. This goes back. Mike Walker, infamously atrocious Everton manager. First 18 games took 20 points. First 18 games under Rafa. Benitez, Rafael, 19 points. So we're one win in God knows how long. It's There's no end in sight either. And we have a what should be a pretty easy run of fixtures coming up or easy compared to what we've been through the last month or so. But it's hard to see really where the points are coming from. And it's hard to see the plan beyond just the results that's being put in place. We bring in Mikolenko. What's going to happen in January? Rafa said that we may bring in two to three players in January. So we've got two to go to hit that number. But he's the guy in control. It seems like he's more or less stuck right now because we can't fire him because then we'll have literally no footballing people basically left at the club besides you set up. Um, but I digress. We did have some interesting post-match comments from Rafa, and I wondered what both your thoughts are on the historically bad start and the maybe long leash that he's being given by the owner. I mean, to me, it sounds like exactly what Jaden Sherman said at, at Shermanator eight, you know, despite what he's saying, it's Rafa's stubbornness is costing us points, starting two right backs instead of playing our left back. is just ridiculous. Again, outmanned in midfield continues to hurt us. What I don't understand is why are people not asking him about that? Like I would love for journalists. It's one thing to ask about the Dean situation. Like that's all dramatic, you know, and, and he continues on set pieces also remain a concern. They've asked that in the past. That was good. It was one of the best interviews I saw given uh, a couple months ago when they actually asked that question. And Jaden finishes off, but I'm sure he will make excuses about how it's out of his control with players missing. Again, all Raph is talking about is spirit. He's trying to appeal to basically the lowest common denominator of the fan, which I personally find insulting. But what I don't understand is it would be lovely if some of these guys, Adam Jones, you hear me, Patty. All right, I'm not calling you guys out. But you and Greg, same thing. I mean, there's only so much you can ask, but... I think it's safe to ask, what is up with the tactical setup? Why do we look so disorganized? I, I just don't see it's night and day. You watch on any other game, just turn on any other Premier League match. Maybe the quality's not there, but they look like there's some intent. Some, I, I see very little from us. I, I just don't. And I, I think it's a concern. Look, I don't think we're not going down. There's too much quality on this team when everyone gets healthy, assuming at least some of them get healthy. And they're three pretty bad teams. But this is a bad stretch we're on. And, and look, we fired managers for less, haven't we? Much so, less. So 
Now, we know this is Mashiri's unilateral selection. He's pushed everyone out now. Director of football's out. Head of sports science out. Chief scout out. Head analysis out. So there's no one really to, to really kind of question him at this point. But, I mean, first 18 games, I mean, worse than Mike Walker's first 18 games. Hey, Kovac's available. There are a lot of guys available. So what do you guys think? I, I, I think it's time for him to go. But to me, the most encouraging thing that could happen, in my opinion, is for Benitez to suck it up and hire a proper football guy. You know what I mean? Like I mentioned, Dan Ashworth. It could be anyone, really. I don't care. Um, but it, it would be nice to just see him hire a legitimate director of football guy. Maybe Brands wasn't the best cultural fit for Everton. You know, um, I could see that. Uh, but Ashworth or or the um, was a Paul Mitchell, the, the English uh, director of football at Monaco. Like, so, you know what I mean? That would I would suddenly feel very very energized. Um, about Everton at this point, but it's it's hard to watch these games. You know, you just see the lineup. You're like, God, what are we doing? And then it's not like sometimes you'd set up strangely and it's surprise. We gotcha. Tactical spin. Very clever. But it's quite the opposite. It's like it's every bit as disorganized as you would think it was from the onset. And the adjustments certainly weren't enough today at all. It almost like he packed it in. I don't know. Final thoughts on you, on you guys. I mean, the, the post-match comments are uh, just it's the same stuff over and over. It's all PR. I feel like he's totally disingenuous with everything he's saying. He's just trying to spin public support in his favor. And I, I, it's hard for me to watch, honestly. I can't stand it. Yeah, I mean, I think what it comes down to is I want Rafa out. I just don't think he's going to be out. I think, uh, I think Marcel's brands being gone is a big contributing factor to maybe the timing. You know, is Moshiri going to blow up essentially the entire board and the manager in the same month or two? I don't think so even though the results are terrible. Um, but I mean, as we said, like that, I mean, you know, options. I also don't see them, you know, getting rid of Rafa in the middle of the transfer window either. I mean, yes, you, you could probably save money. Um, but how immediate of a need do they f- see that regardless of the manager? Should we be committing serious funds to this guy in January, which is not a good time to buy? I mean, we, we went, did our analysis of the backs, but you know, Mikalenko's a good player. I think he has some serious adjustment to to deal with the Premier League. And he he's very much more of kind of a Rafa type player. He's not he talked in his interview about getting up the pitch, and we'll talk about that separately. We will probably do a do an episode and talk about some of the transfer dealings in, in January. But um I don't like this idea of him buying anyone, frankly. I mean, there's some obvious places where we could use people, but at this point, why not try some of the other guys on the bench that have been underutilized and find out what you got? And that, that I think, is the difference between a manager and a director of football. The director of football bought these guys for a specific idea. It may not be a specific system. You know, it's not like Dan Ashworth tells Graham Potter what system. He tells him generally how he wants to play, and he hires a manager that can put in a system that will reflect those general principles and values, that reflect the overall vision of the club. So we clearly don't have that, um, and Rafa's playing a very – a style that I don't think is very befitting of a club that has kind of modern aspirations. So my fear is that if you commit a lot of money to buying in January, which is usually not a good time to buy, and I think we overpaid for Mikalinko, who's who's a decent player. It's just way too much money for him, I think, in my opinion. Are we going to go that route again? Like, if we're going to are we going to spend a ton of money on Patterson for you know when Gerard laughed at our bid of you know five yeah. million pounds, and rumor has we bid even closer to nine. That's a lot for him too. I, I'm afraid of that, man. I mean, I just, I, I know it's a little late for that, but I'm okay with loans for this guy, something temporarily, but I do not want him to come in and hijack and buy people that cannot adapt 
to where I think this is going because you can only deal with this level of performance for so long, right? Yeah, and that's exactly where I'm at is like I, I would feel okay or I would still feel terrible about this run of results because we lose all the time. But I'd feel a little bit better and maybe have felt a little bit better about previous runs of poor form in the last few years because I believe that there was at least some sort of overarching plan in place and a long-term vision. Well, guess what? We gutted the long-term vision. We said, we're binning that. It's done. We're going to give ultimate control to this For guy. the second time under Moshir. Right. So we're back to square one. And now that we're at square one, we have this guy who has never really done a job like this before implementing at this scale, at a, in a spotlight this large in a league, the biggest league in the world, you're going to give him <clears throat> complete unilateral control. I don't, it's a rock and a hard place because you get rid of him. Well, he's taking his whole backroom fitness staff with him. And that's a whole another multi-million dollar problem to solve for Moshiri on top of the no infrastructure above him besides like Bill Kenwright, Denise Barrett Baxendale calling God knows who to get dealings over the line. And if you let him take the reins, well, again, I, I've said it before, but I just don't see us being, you know, end of next summer in a significantly better long-term position than we are now if Roth is the one calling the show. Well, you can't, and that makes me feel you really You can't dejected. say the club needs a full end-to-end -end review of all football things and then give this guy a ton of money in January. Like, that concerns yeah. me. Already up against it in financial fair play. Don't mess with the guy who comes in after you, potentially. Totally agree. And I think, you know, we've gone on enough about Rafa for one day. We hope that this was at least cathartic for you to listen to. It certainly was cathartic for us to record. Thank you, as always, for listening. Just a reminder, again, to if you enjoyed it, please leave us a rating review on your podcast platform of choice. Find us on social media, linktr.ee slash USA Toffee Pod. It'll be in the description of the episode. And join our Discord, invite.gg slash ATP. We thank you all very much for listening. Appreciate you all. We'll get through this tough times and hopefully brighter days ahead. And until next time, up the Toffee. Whole city, you're going down next match. Yeah.